Here we uncover the traditions that are working for successful parents. For the parents who are ready to do things differently but aren't sure how, go to wandahoward.com and download my free blueprint. It will help you create the difference you've been looking for and enable your kids to be emotionally healthy and confident throughout their lives. Now is the time to start doing things differently. Welcome back, everybody, to the Successful Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Howard, and today is a beautiful spring day. I am so excited for the weather to be warming up, but I'm even more excited to have with us Damon Burton. He is a CEO and founder of the SEO National, and he has built this multi-million dollar company alongside his family without sacrificing his family, which is huge in today's world, but he's also done it in an incredible way without any ad spend. So welcome, Damon. I'm excited to hear more about your story. Yeah, Wanda, I appreciate the opportunity to chat. And the spring comment, um, I'll tell you a funny story. We can start there. Yes, please do. So my um, office, I work at home, is ground level. And I have this, you know, you briefly touched on family. And so I have one of those screen doors that split open because, um, or not screen doors, screens in the window, because my kids, when they play hide and seek during the day, they'll cheat and they'll sneak through my window and hide. But then you, you talking about spring um, uh, yesterday, no, it was too, it could, we got, we had snow yesterday, but the day before that was awesome. It finally started to hit high sixties. And in the summer I do what I call trampoline naps. So I sneak out that same window and I go crash for like 30 minutes out in the backyard while my kids are at school. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're able to get your spring naps back in now. Yeah, it's warm yeah, now. yeah. I guess you could take it another step further and like do the cold plunges, but in the snow on the trampoline and then see all that. Goes. I I actually do. Uh, I have a cold plunge tank. Um, we were able to build a an indoor pool house uh, about two years ago and in it I put a, a cold tank. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You'll have to now go and uh, bake in the sun for a little bit and then go and dive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get them both now. Well, okay. So um, tell us a little bit more about your business. Tell us what it is that you do. Yeah. So um started an SEO agency about 16 years ago and SEO stands for search engine optimization. So the goal is to build up the awareness and credibility of a website. So you show higher on search engines for words you can monetize, but without paying for ads. So you get that organic reach. Um, did that a long time, just kind of stayed in my lane. When I started the agency, I was very intentional about not being an agency that offers it all. And I've just stuck to that one thing that served me well. That's so cool. And I, I remember hearing your story on another podcast and that's how we connected as I reached out to him and I was like, holy cow, what you're doing is incredible. And I got his book and I was able to look through that. And so I am, um, I would want you to talk a little bit about your book. So those here who are getting used to the SEO and getting used to like what to be paying attention to, that was an incredible resource that I think everybody needs. Yeah, thanks. Um, so writing the book was fun. Um, well, it was fun and it was not fun, um, but writing books are not easy. But <laughs> it, it was more of a passion project for me because I kind of, um, you know, I've been fortunate to get to reasonable success to where uh, I just... I think the majority of us, when we find some sort of um, satisfaction in our career, we are inclined to give back. And so that was my form of giving back where I just got so tired of all, all the outdated, irrelevant information that was out there. And more so probably the people that would take advantage of, of others that are considering SEO, because it is a very dynamic, in-depth kind of potential and entangled mess of lots of things you have to juggle. 
So it's really easy for somebody to come in the smoke and mirrors and then just sell you on something. And so I wanted to write it as a resource. So um, more so than a lead generation, which I'll talk about in a minute, um, probably my bigger desire was to just the people that I couldn't help uh, on the agency side, I could still go, well, here's a resource. Like if you're willing to put in the time, here's all the answers. And so that's why I wrote it. Now, writing a book was an interesting journey because um, you, at least for me, it was, okay, I got these 10,000 things. Where do you start? And so it basically starts by just vomiting out all the ideas and then <laughs> and then going, okay, how do I clean up this mess from here? And so then you kind of structure the book. But then what happens is, um, so my book's 130-something pages long. And then now all of a sudden you have a draft of 130-something pages. So then you have to read it. So then you read 130 <laughs> pages and then it's like, well, this is this this chapter would be better over here and shuffle this around and mix these things. So then you can make all these changes. Then you have to read it again. And you basically go from chapters to pages to paragraphs to sentences to words and rereading this thing multiple times over. And, and it took me about two years. I think if I remember right, wow. I took about nine months balancing other things to put it together. Then I was just burned out and I didn't do anything for about six months. And then I came back and wrapped it up and went through the the um, publishing process and all that. So um, I'm glad I did it. Um, it's been published long enough that I'm considering the punishment again and writing another book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure everybody else will be very grateful for that. But yes, did you have anybody um, with you when you were going through over and over of like how to rearrange your book? Was anybody like guiding you through that or was that solo? For the most part of solo, I did have one lady named Stacy that helped me with the vomit phase. And, um, <laughs> but, but all the editing was me because I wanted it to be, there's a lot of great options to like, you know, go straight a book and depending on how and why you want wanting to do it. If you want it purely for the credibility position of just saying you wrote a book, there's lots of other um, faster ways to do it. But I, I wanted to be able to authentically say like, this is my voice and these are the resources and, and the skill sets that I'm, I'm putting out in the world. So I, I tried to do as much of it as I could hands on. That's so cool. So what, um, what stage was your business at then by the time that you started writing this book? Um, as far as like size or revenue or scale or, or yeah, like um, how long had you been in business? What was the size of it? Um, I wrote the book, I want to say about four years ago. Um, so I was, uh, probably in the high hundreds of thousands of dollars per year in revenue, um, had a team of around then it would have been around, um, 25 to 35 people. Awesome. And then what, what was like the family dynamic with running your business? What, what were you experiencing as far as balancing family life and kids and business? And what does your just day-to-day life look like? So, so that really hasn't changed much in quite a long time. Um, so even during the book writing process, uh, as compared to now, it was pretty comparable. So basically, the way the way my day looks is, um, and then I'll go backwards a little bit as to how I got to that sort of daily structure. Um, so I wake up at five, not because I like to, I'm not a morning person, but I do <laughs> like getting a head start on the world. Um, and, and so the way I kind of decided to join the 5 a.m. club is... Uh, kind of a family decision. So I want the extra time to get more things done because I have a strong drive to be a high achiever, but then I also don't want to sacrifice the family. And so it's basically, you can either get in the extra time early or you can get an extra time late. And and so my decision was, well, my kids, I never know how late they're going to be up, right? There's always the potential to have a late night with the kids. They are never going to be up at 5 a.m. 
So <laughs> that that was easy to go. Okay, I'm gonna get in my extra time at five. Um, and so I've been doing that for a long time, as long as I can remember, at least probably at least ten or twelve years. Um, actually, year one, um, I would get up even earlier. So m- my wife, when I first started the business, she worked at a hospital and she'd get up at three a.m. to go to work at four a.m. Wow. And when I, when I first started the business, um, I was like, well, why don't I also take advantage of getting up early in the morning? And you know, there's a side conversation maybe we can have here in a minute. But I was I was working a, a day job at the time when I started my job. So or my agency. So my agency started as a side hustle. And so I would work from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m., knock out the other company's work that I was working remotely for. And then I basically had the rest of the day to work on kind of my side hustle. Um, and so before we had kids, I decided I'm gonna kind of remember sitting in our living room at our old house having a kind of a dialogue in my head saying, Well, I'm gonna grind it out now so I don't have to later when we do have kids. And um so I would do like the 20 hour days when you could, when you're in your twenties wow. and, and can do that extra time. Um, and, you know, I can look back now, grateful that it paid off. So, um, my schedule, wake up five, work from five to seven, depending on the kids wake up between seven, seven thirty. Um, I block off my calendar from about seven to nine, um, take them to school around eight thirty, and then get back around nine. And then I work from, nine to one, nine to two, then I go take a trampoline nap or a nap on the futon behind me. And um, then I'll go back to work until the kids get home around 3.30. I'll hang out with them for 30, 40 minutes, and then I'll get in one more hour before I call it a day, wrap it up around five. Rarely do I work on weekends. The only time I ever work late or on weekends is if the whole family's already passed out and I don't want to go to bed. So (laughs) I try to to keep it on a Monday through Friday kind of thing. That's so cool. And so um, right now with just balancing everything with your family and, and that you have this systematic routine now, what would you say is the biggest um, frustration that can pop up? Is it the unplanned? Is it a, a consistent frustration that pops up or what, what does that look like for you? That's a good question. I don't, I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, my, actually, I can't answer that. Um, my biggest frustration is a lack of my own inability to be sympathetic to um, a lack of critical thinking. Um, so when when we have, uh, so like my team's superpower is documented processes. So that's how we can maintain quality control at scale. So probably eight years ago, I went through and just documented absolutely everything. We had processes, but you know some of them were in a spreadsheet and some of them were in my head and some of them were in this other document. And I, at the time I was reading, I was listening to two audiobooks around the same time. Um, one was the four hour work week and the other was E-Myth Revisited. And if you haven't read or listened to those, um, four hour work week basically tells you how to kind of cut corners, but still be productive. And then E-Myth Revisited teaches you how to build a business that's dependent on processes and not people. And so when I listened to those two, it, it was kind of beneficial to coincidentally listening to both of them around the same time frame. Because what I learned is, listening. if you haven't listened to these um, or read them, read Emith first, because it'll tell you how to, the, the importance of building structure, uh, standard operating procedures and processes. Read that one first, because then 4-Hour Workweek tells you how to cut corners, but you don't want to cut corners until you know what your processes are. Uh-huh. So um, so I went through that process and um, so kind of bringing, tying that back to the, the original question and my comment about critical thinking is we are hyper documented, like really granularly documented. And 
and I did two kind of phases of documenting processes. The first process is like, okay, what's the the obvious stuff, the black and white kind of things where it's, you just do this and then you do that step one, two, three, four, five. But then after that, I said, okay, well, I still can't be available 24 seven. So for what do I do about the more dynamic things? So then I went and did a second round where I said, how do I document the thought processes? So then the team can follow the steps of what to ask themselves to then hopefully get to the answer. So for me, it's like, um, I want to maintain that quality control scale. So anytime we, we run into a little thing, I, I try to t- walk the team through like, you know, um, I was at a mastermind about two, three months ago, and there was a really interesting comment that was made. And it said, if, you know, if you have, if you want to teach your team how to solve their own problems, when they come to you with a question, the way that you should ask them is say, I know you don't know the answer, but if you thought you did know the answer, what would the answer be? And more often than not, that's the answer. They just need permission to acknowledge that they have an answer and they're willing to take action on it. So for me, um, I've, I've had to learn that I'm the oddball. Like I'm the one that is not among the masses of uh, just being a black and white action taker. So it's been hard for me to learn to be more sympathetic and um, to, to going, why don't you know that answer? And so, <laughs> or, or why can't you just go figure it out? Um, so that one's probably fresh on my mind because we had an issue today where um, I was like, come on guys, you can answer this. <laughs> oh, I love that. And thank you for sharing that too. Have you seen that carry over as far as into your parenting and like situations with your kids as well? Or is that primarily mm-hmm. just adults? Oh, no, totally. Yeah, within the family. Um, I don't think I approach situations too significantly different between work and bed. Like, I think I'm largely just the same person in any scenario. Obviously, I'm more patient with my kids versus adults. Um, but I think my kids are honestly more successful than adults in, in, in being able to rationalize things. So I do take the same approach where like, I don't want to be a hover parent. I don't want my kids, um, as much as I want them around for life, I don't want them dependent on me for life. I want to give them the skill set to figure things out. So a lot of times I'll, uh, I can be more patient with them because they're kids and that's a justifiable reason why they wouldn't know the answer. And so I'll, I'll often, um, set up responses to them where very similar to the example where the mastermind said, you know, if you don't know the answer, what would it be? I kind of give them those same opportunities to help them discover the process of critical thinking and and realize that they have their own little superpowers that they can take advantage of. Oh, I love that so much. We have just started ourselves as um, critical thinking as well. It's an amazing program that it's like these little TV series for kids to start Mm -hmm. watching and they go through these critical thinking, problem solving and, and it's been really fun to just see the different ages that my kids and the different questions that they have. So I love that you're already incorporating that as well with like noticing critical thinking is so necessary. So instead of just giving them all the answers, that's going to help them throughout their whole life. Well, there's, there's, um, I think there's a lot of power in critical thinking because like even, you know, Right now, there's so much paranoia uh, that people have about like AI and, and it's just going to wipe out all these jobs, which it probably will. But the jobs it will not wipe out are are jobs where people are strong in critical thinking and soft skills and communication skills. So and, and if you look back through any, I don't know the right phrase, but we'll say job extinction level event, you know, innovation, um, the people that always survive are the people that have to be independent based on critical thinking. Yeah. So good. So true too. So um, now I want to ask 
as far as like who you are right now and the business that you created, is that what you saw yourself doing when you were either first married, a kid, a teenager? Like, was this what the area of life that you saw yourself being in? No, um, 50, 50. Um, I, when I was younger, I had a strong belief that I would do something. I had no idea in what direction that would be, but I actually think that's a, that's, um, something worth exploring for a minute. Um, I think, uh, part of the reason why some of us hit dead ends is because we commit ourselves to things unnecessarily. And so like when I started to go into the entrepreneurial path, um, or even with relationships, like I'll, I'll give an example with career and I'll give an example with me and my wife. Um, so like when I grew up, when, when I was younger, I had like the most busted crooked looking teeth. Um, I was just tons of friends, super insecure though. And then, um, so when I got into my, my twenties and I got braces and all this and did the, you know, fix the cosmetic insecurities and it's like, okay, you know, how do I, how do I get past this insecurity? And, um, so I, when I was younger, I didn't really date a lot. I didn't have a lot of girlfriends or anything like that. And so in my twenties, I was like, you know, I don't know what I want in a relationship. So why don't we go explore relationships? And so there's this phrase that I say, where I say date the phases. And, and I mean that you can apply it in almost any scenario, whether it's personal or business. And so for me, I was dating the phases of relationships. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go date different people to figure out what I like. And so there might be one relationship where I enjoyed going in the outdoors and spending time outside. And then there might be one relationship where they were really educated and they would make me think harder. And so it's like, okay, I like these things and I don't like these things. And so you kind of take what you learn from each of those scenarios and then you apply it to the next one. So you improve the next one each time. And so you can do the same thing with your career, right? And so with your career, I would look at my first job. I was 16. I was a janitor at a junior high. I never played. I, I never felt like the job sucked. Of course, there were things I didn't like about it, but I, I never was like, this is the worst job ever. Instead, I was like, okay, what do I like about it? So just like the relationship comparison. So at 16, the job was cool because I got paid, I think minimum wage at the time was like 515 and I was making 675. So I was making way more than minimum wage. Um, I was working Monday through Friday. And it was from 3.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. So I had every night off. I had every weekend off. I got, It was a school, so I got paid government holidays. Tons of amazing things. So then I took that next job, and I was like, okay, I need more pay. So then I just went and got a regular job at like Michael's Arts and Crafts. I worked at a retail place. And so through that, I was like, okay, what can I learn from here? I was always asking myself, like, how do I not be the victim in this scenario of, you know, a quote-unquote sucky job? And so through that, I learned, um, well, I could go learn framing and I could go learn this and that. And then I ended up, um, there was a, one of my managers, his name is Christy, who I'm still in touch with today. Um, she saw something in my willingness. And then at 17, she offered me an assistant manager for job. job. Wow. And so what was funny is she says, you know, we were talking earlier about um, living in Utah. So at the time, um, I I had worked opened up the Michael Arts and Crafts in a city called Layton, and then she said, "Hey, would you like to go be an assistant manager up in Logan?" So you know that that's about a two hour difference, uh, well about a ninety minute difference. And um, I said, "That's great, Christy, but I'm 17 and I work at home, and so I can't like to make that drive." Well, what ended up happening was about two weeks later, my mom told me that we were moving to Tremont, and Tremont oh, is wow. a town that's 30 minutes away from Logan. <laughs> And so I, I hit up Christy, who is still working at the late location. And they said, hey, I actually think I can take you up on an offer. 
So I ended up taking advantage of that opportunity. And then when I was at the new location, um, Christy, I got uh, gratefully. So I got to see her fight for me and there would be like a regional manager that would come in and in front of me about 10 feet away, this guy very understandably was arguing that I should not have the assistant manager position because I had no experience in framing. I was 17, but Christy knew that I had, we talk about critical thinking, right? She knew that I had the willingness to figure it out. And so at 17, I got an assistant manager job and then that turned a department manager job and that turned into an assistant manager job. And so I just like took everything from every scenario. And, you know, when, when I met my wife, I had dated the phases of other relationships. And the moment I met her, I told anybody else that I was openly dating. I said, Hey, I think we just need to be friends because I'm going to be dating this other person. And I've been with my wife for 19 years now. Oh, that's so cool. And I really like that idea of dating the phases. It's, it really is refreshing to feel like, okay, it's not that each person is, this is the bad person or this is the good person. It really is that just that phase of, do you enjoy that kind of life? Do you enjoy that phase of life together? And that's beautifully put. Another thing that I really like about what you were sharing too, is um, the fact that your manager fought for you. Like that, Mm -hmm. that is amazing gift, especially as a kid, when you're getting your own wings, getting your own confidence and spreading out and seeing an adult um, fight for you. So that makes me wonder, okay, what else is in your life that helped you be the person that you are to stand up for yourself and have that confidence? Um, Would you say it was your manager and people like that, or did your parents play a role in that as well? What, what helped you have that confidence and capacity that you have now? Yeah, I can answer that pretty clearly. Um, real quick, though, with that manager, Christy. So a couple of years ago, I reached out to her on Facebook and and asked her if I could take her out to lunch and tell her thanks. So um, I've shared that story with her and her and I still stay in touch now. So it's pretty cool. Oh, um, so, cool. so for me, it was um, it was how I grew up. I, I grew up lower middle class with an alcoholic stepdad, um, you know, broke. Uh, and so for me, it was... Um, it, it was very easy for me. Just like I talked about, I, I always tried to not be the victim. Um, so like when you grow up in like, when you grow up in broken scenarios, a lot of times you don't know because you don't know any difference, just how you were raised. Um, but as you get older and you start to go in, for me, it probably was um, de- definitely early teenagers, maybe slightly before um, I started to go, you know, when I grow up and I'm an adult and, you know, one day I might have kids and a family. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I don't, and I don't want to do that. And I don't always want to be broke. And I don't always want to not be able to do things because of financial limitations. Um, and I don't want a family that it that argues and things like that. And so, um, just like paying attention, I think I've learned more from what others have done wrong by ever having some sort of mentor in personal <laughs> and in, in business. Um, you know, I can give some stories, an example of the last two employers I had before I started my agency and all the things I learned from them of what not to do. But it it was largely like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to limit myself on what's possible because of a a victim mentality. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to limit what was possible that I could provide for a family when I had a family. So earlier I talked about how I wanted to, you know, grind it out now before I had to later. And so I was always willing to invest in delayed gratification. And, And so, um, I've never had any hesitation about like putting in the time and like, w- I basically try to reverse engineer everything. Like, where do I want to be? 
And then whatever the answer is to get there is, is not up for debate. Like, is it going to suck? Probably it's going to suck, but that's what I want. So there's the path. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was largely what I went through as a kid. That's so cool. And it's very true. Like we're, we're going to go through paths that something about it is going to suck. So you get to kind of pick your trials if you say, that's what I want. And I know there's going to be hard things about it, but I'm still going to get, I'm still going to go down that path. That's, that's huge. The other thing um, I can relate to your story in several ways of just broken homes and trying to figure out like, that's what I don't want. That's what I don't want. And then having to pick out like, how do you, from a day-to-day basis, actually build the thing you do want and create the life that you want? And what does that look like? Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of growth and dreaming, I'm sure, that you experience as well, like just going through that phase of building up a healthier lifestyle, healthier family life as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I want to ask, what what have been the specific things that helped you integrate that into your life like there's it's one thing to say I don't want these negative things and I don't want to be this kind of a person but it's very different to actually in your own um, day-to-day life be able to create that and not go from a victim mentality when that is all that you know as a kid so Mm -hmm. what what would you say helped you formulate your own um, ability to show up that way this is probably the one thing that I can't take intentional credit for. So I think everything it, that I've accomplished, I've been very intentional about. But having that mindset, um, I can't put my finger on it. Um, I'm sure it was an event at some point when I was younger that that made me switch that way. But it was young enough that, that it's all I all I know. And it's all I remember. Um, I, th- I think maybe a way I could partially answer it is that um, it, like if you want this big, grand, successful life, you don't aim for a big, grand, successful life. You aim for micro commitments. And so when you start to kind of chalk those little micro wins, then it makes things way easier. Like it builds momentum. So like if I look at this big, grand thing of like, you know, if I want this goal that's 10 years away, I don't even think about the 10 years. Like I just think about, okay, like am I one step closer? And so for me, it's always just the, hey, I did the one tiny thing that gets me to the ultimate goal. So in my mind, I'm always looking at, I'm always envisioning what the goal at the 10-year mark is, not the time frame of the 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautifully put because if you're constantly focusing on that time, then as every day goes, you're closer towards that time and it feels like you're you're failing. So switching or shifting to just noticing like, okay, am I one step closer? Not am I one day closer? Cause that feels, that can feel very daunting for sure. Um, what would you say right now as a dad and entrepreneur is your biggest goal to help enable your kids? Like what you, you talked a little bit about critical thinking, but what is it that you hope to instill in them the most? Um, real life experience. So, um, my kids, um, my, my boys are eight and 12, my daughter's five. And so I'm in, um, some of the listeners will be familiar with a gentleman named Russell Brunson. Um, he runs this big, um, hundred, $200 million company. So I've been fortunate enough to be in his private mastermind called inner circle and in inner circle, um, we get the opportunity to go participate in these private events. And so one of the private events that they do every other year is called unlock the secrets and unlock the secrets is, um, just for kids 
I mean, obviously the parents are there, but the 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 curriculum is geared towards inspiring the entrepreneurship um, opportunities in kids. And so I took my kids last year and um, it's like this huge grand production. It's like a multi-day event. And at it, you like, it's one thing to tell your kids something in it, but it's different for them to see it. And so yeah. in all the things, um, even little things, like, like we all want our kids to get off their phone, but like, you can't say that if you're on the phone. And so <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to learn, like, for those of you that might see this on video, I have guitars behind me and I want to learn guitar. So I practice in front of them so they can go, oh, dad's learning something new and dad's following things that he's interested in. And so I try to intentionally put things in their peripheral vision to, to experience. So at this Unlock the Secrets event, they get exposed to all these potential opportunities of, you know, kids can make tons of money, right? There was, there was like 16 year olds there that the, well, there was one gentleman in particular, I think he's like 20 now, but at, he made his first million dollars at 16. And then there was like some 17, 18 year old woman that um, she does like $200,000 a month. And so they get to see like these real life things. And so through that process, we're like, okay, well, what would you like to do? And I never try to tell my kids what to do. I, I try to expose them to things. So even like sports, like, um, of course, I want to go watch my kids play sports, but I don't want to tell them much sport to play. So I just put them in everything and then I let it filter out as to what ones they like and don't like, because then they're more passionate about it because they chose yep. that path. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing with like entrepreneurship or whatever career. Like, I don't care if they get a job as long as they're happy. I don't care if they start a business as long as they're happy, but I don't want them to feel obligated to have a nine to five or feel obligated to go to college or feel obligated to follow dad. And so I, at this event, they got to see all this, these other kids doing cool things. And following that event, I said, okay, well, what would you like to do? And so my oldest son, um, he ended up wanting to start doing a t-shirt business. And then um, I didn't think my eight-year-old, all my kids were there, but my wife would hang out with my daughter um, back in the room. And then my eight-year-old became way more interested than I thought he would. And I think he was probably more interested than my 12-year-old was. And oh, so wow. I started bringing him down to the event. And my eight-year-old wanted to start a sticker business. My, my eight-year-old sold $2,500 worth of stickers like two months within two months of wow. this thing. And so now we're building out. Um, so he's got a sticker business we're building out called Pie Stickers. Um, and then my 12-year-old my is getting big into skateboarding. And so he wanted to do shirts and and I said, okay, well, so I tried to help them with my experience without choosing the direction for them. And so I said, well, I think you should do shirts if that's what you want to do. I think that's a great idea, but who are you going to sell shirts to? Because just shirts in general is probably too broad. And I try to explain why. And so then I said, and then I, I said, um, you know, you're getting into skateboarding. What if you sold shirts that you, that you would like, the skateboarders would like? And so I gave him a couple other options. That was one among many, but he agreed and understood that. And so now we're building out this little t-shirt line geared towards, you know, young skater kids. So um, I try to, sorry, I got some, I got a landscaping guy that just decided to show up. You hear background noise. So oh, I, I tried to, I tried to just expose them to what the possibilities are, but let them choose what the path is. So back to your question, it's just real life experience and whatever it is, whether it's school, career, sports. That's really good. And it's so true that like our kids, they want so badly to please us. They want so badly to just do what's right. So I love that your 
your guidance towards them isn't this is the way it's these are these are the many different ways which one resonates with you which one do you want to explore next which one do you want to try and I think that will be a huge benefit well I know it will be a huge benefit throughout their life because um that not just the experience of it itself but knowing your support behind it knowing like dad dad is okay with me doing whatever it is I want to do and I think it's truly beautiful too that you also incorporate your knowledge and say well t-shirts is kind of broad like what kind of t-shirts who do you want it to be for just because I've, I've seen so many parents um, restrict them their own voice in the relationship because they're worried that they might infringe too much but then I'm like but then your kids just have to start at ground zero like you are the most qualified person because you've done all the trainings, you've done all the years of research and everything in your own business. So that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I mean, if oh, you sorry, think about, you yeah, if you think about just anything, um, kids are very malleable, you know, they can kind of go one way or the other. But what, what happens is I think a lot of parents confuse that for their happiness because, mm -hmm. because they're so um, moldable at a young age, you can convince a kid to go down whatever path you want. But what happens is when they become a teenager and they start to resent it, and then when they become an adult, then um, all of that goes out the window. So yes. like if you force a kid, to, if you if you try to live your your past dreams through your kid, you it may work for a while, but then it's just all going to burn down. Not only the time that you invested and they invested, but it can actually long-term damage the relationship after that fallout too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what would be your biggest advice to the parents who are listening and they want their kids to be able to run their own businesses. They want to have that same relationship with them as well. And they're having troubles figuring out how do you balance that? How do you, you, you've had the structure of your time in the business and time with playing with the kids and now they're wanting to grow a business as well. Where do you fit that into your daily life? How do you structure that so that way they get what they need and it doesn't take away from what you're still needing to accomplish as well? Yeah, you got to figure out some sort of structure. So, um, you know, you got to break it down. So you got to break down what your interests are. And then you got to break down what their interests are and then see which ones have to exist independent of each other and which ones can be blended. So for me, you know, my per my kids don't care about the super nerdy SEO stuff that I get into. And so I have to figure out where I can sacrifice to put in that extra time where, where I can make the sacrifice, not them. And so that's where we talked about earlier. My kids will never be up at five. So I choose to make my personal sacrifice of getting up earlier than I want to and getting up at five. So I don't have to make them sacrifice hanging out with dad in the evening and we can still do that. So then for the kids, then it's like, okay, well now what open windows do I still have left? And so, um, you know, the kids are in soccer, so it, it can't generally be after school on weekdays. Um, my daughter's in dance, so then there's that. And so I try to pick time frames that are repeatable because if you can't make a process out of it, it's really hard to commit to it. And so with my kids, it's like, all right, well then, um, you know, Sunday we're hanging out and doing family time anyway. So can we make it part of that enjoyable bonding time to have a little business powwow and be like, hey, what's the next move you want to do in your business? Because they don't know any different. It's going to be as fun or as miserable as you make it. So if you bring it to the table where it's like, hey, this is your baby and this is your idea. What cool stuff do you want to do? 
then it becomes uh, an opportunity for you to spend time together while also supporting whatever future pursuits that you hope your kids participate in. Um, so really, first, you got to figure out how to break it down as to which puzzle pieces exist. And then you have to reverse engineer out of your available time windows. Where can you put your puzzle piece versus their puzzle piece in a repeatable manner? Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I can attest that this is so true with my own kids that are have that entrepreneurial spirit. Like if you don't make that consistent pattern, it's so easy for it to just fall through the cracks and not mm-hmm. ever come back up. And And it is fun for them. They love to, it's like you said, it's not, it's only miserable if you make it miserable. Yeah. So, well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Damon, for coming. And for anybody that's wanting to connect with you and learn more about your SEO, where do they go? How can they find you? What's the best way for them to start? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to chat. Um, you can just go to damonburton.com on there. has all my links, um, has all my social media. has. If you want to follow SEO, I got a free copy of the book on there that you can download. Um, and that, that just puts you in all directions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we will see you all next time. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you again for being a part of our podcast family and for the difference you are making right now in the world and in the walls of your own home. If you're wanting to support parents everywhere, you can do that by leaving a rate and review. This helps so many find connection and answers they are searching for. Also, don't forget to go to WandaHoward.com and get your own free parenting blueprint. I love you all and we will see you next time.